Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Thanks, Ben, for leading us this morning. Um, Can I tell you guys, I'll start off with a true story, uh, which immediately makes you wonder, what were all those other stories? Suspicious, right? Um, Good. It should be suspicious. Uh, This week, I was sitting comfortably in my warm home while eight inches of snow fell quietly and peacefully outside. You guys were probably around. You remember this, right? It was Wednesday. Uh, They called school, which meant that Sarah and Evie had a snow day. And so uh, we're all hanging out inside. We had just made a ridiculously large breakfast and watching the snow fall. I was in my office trying to do a little bit of work. The girls were outside, probably watching Encanto, because that is all that we do now. When there was a ring on the doorbell. Now, you guys know what happens when your doorbell rings. You're really excited, and you're like, something good is about to happen, right? No, we're scared of doorbells now. Have you noticed this? Like, it used to be a thing where we were like, oh, cool, the doorbell. We'll run and see. We'll race to see who opens it. And now we're like, oh, what is this now? Was it a package? No, of course not. That's the best of all possible scenarios. Uh, was it uh, a neighbor stopping by to drop something off? No, of course not. Was it even like neighbor kids volunteering to shovel the snow for like five bucks, which is, is tolerable, right? And it's kind of a, you know, a nice industrious way to make a living. No, it wasn't that. It was uh, a man and a woman and they walk up to the door and, uh, I open up the door and they say, Hi, how are you doing? And I say, hey, I'm doing all right. And uh, then they went on and said uh, that they were from the Humane Society. And they wanted to inquire of me. They had a serious question for me. They wanted to knew, know whether or not I knew what a puppy mill was. So I said, good, this is going to be a fun conversation. I say, yes, I think I'm aware of what puppy mills are. I probably don't know as much as you guys, but I think I get the gist of it. Uh, I responded that I wasn't also, I said I wasn't a fan. I don't like those things. Thinking that this would sort of cut the conversation a little bit shorter. I don't know, you guys might think I'm a jerk from this story, but this is just not sort of how I roll. So I was just like, hey, uh, yeah, I know what a puppy mill is. Thanks. And they were like, did you know that the Humane Society has made puppy mills illegal in 35 states? And I said, no, I did not know that. I said, good job. And then I went to shut the door and they said, did you know that you could also be a part of this movement? And I said, uh, no, I did not. Uh, and they said, for just a dollar a day, you can help put an end to puppy mills. And I said, thanks, I'm good. Do you guys ever do that? Like they're a waiter offering you water, like somebody asks you for something, you're like, thanks, man, I'm good. I'm all right, you know, I don't, I don't need any of that, thanks. Uh, but of course, that wasn't the right answer. And she said, oh, sir, did you know that you could actually come in at less than a dollar a day? She said, everyone that's a part of our organization, including me and this guy that I'm training on how to do this, we all give a dollar a day. We are all about the Humane Society and putting an end to puppy mills. Sir, do you know that you could be a part of this as well? To which I responded, uh, no, thanks. And she said, sir, sir, may I ask you why? Now, it was at this point uh, when perhaps my own fleshly self got the better of me, and I realized I was standing on my own porch. It was eight degrees outside, and I was standing with no shoes on and a T-shirt. I was still in my bed clothes. 
and uh, I was in my kerchief and cap and standing out on my own front porch while eight inches of snow was falling down. They were using this as like a part of their strategy, right? This was like, hey, we're really committed to this. Look at how deep the snow is. One guy was like barely wearing any shoes. They were like knitted boots. Like he got them at like Forever 21 or something like that. It was like the strange. I was like, what are you guys even doing out here? And I was like, you know, um, uh, I give to other charities. And she was like, well why not give to the Humane Society as well? And this, like I said, at this point, I must admit, I was getting a little frustrated, and I said, I give to human charities. And she looked at me like I had just opened up a puppy mill. Like, she really did, like, uh, she was, like, peeking in the door, expecting to see me drowning puppies or whatever it is they do at puppy mills. I said that I knew about them, but I clearly don't know enough. Uh, I said I give to human charities, and she did not like that. She said, well, why are they mutually exclusive? And I said, because I only have a limited amount of money. And uh, she was like, well, sir, they're completely, and I was like, hey, listen, I don't want to waste any of your time. You guys clearly have a lot of houses to do. Don't waste any more time on me. I wish you guys the best. Have a good day. And as I am, like, shutting the door, she's like, go to the Humane Society website, like, leaning around like that. (sighs) And after that interaction, I felt kind of strange. Uh, I do, uh, while I may be making light of it here, I'm not sure that I was as kind as I could have been to those people, but there's also just no way to be like, like no one can come to your door and you're like, hey, I'm not going to buy what you're selling. Uh, you will be able to go home earlier this afternoon if you will just go to the next house, right? Like there's no kind way to just usher somebody outside of the door. And I'm sorry for all of you dog lovers. Uh, the human charity thing is real for me. I just, uh, the humane society, come on, puppy mills, this is a problem in the world? I don't know. I mean, sure, I guess it is, but people in other countries don't even have, like, fresh water to drink. I don't know. So I felt completely, like, simultaneously justified and simultaneously weird about it, and I also just had a lot of questions. So it was, like, two people, uh, like I said, did not look overly prepared. The lady was wearing, like, a poncho. The guy had, like, these knit shoes on. And they're walking around in probably what will be the heaviest snow and coldest day in Denver in 2022, quite possibly, right? And they chose this as the day to march around. Maybe they were thinking people would be at home on snow days. I don't really know. But it made me think a lot about, like, what we choose to do with our lives. I mean, this lady was a killer, killer salesman. I mean, really, I was just inches away from giving to destroy the puppy mills. And yet, what she's choosing to do with this salesman, like, uh, skill set that she has is walk up and down the street in the snow uh, trying to beg for money from other people. They could have used their lives, uh, actually gone, like, I thought about this afterwards. I was like, maybe they should, their time would be better spent if they went, like, Punisher style to these puppy mills. You know, they, like, bust up in there. They got big guns. They kick down the door, and they're like, give us all the puppies. And then they're like, go, Golden Doodles. You're free. You're free. And then eventually a, a, like, tribe of uh, completely untrained, just, like, free-range Golden Doodles will be somewhere in Wyoming. You know, like, I think, like, maybe that's a good use of your time. Maybe even some sort of, like, you know, uh, anti-puppy mill lobbyist organization, which I guess would take a lot of money. But I I just see them in, like, sharp suits, you know, like, going to the people in power. And they're like, actually, the problem is puppy mills. You know, that kind of thing. Clearly, you guys don't think puppy mills are as funny as I do. I don't understand what's going on there. And I don't understand why it is the worst problem facing our world. I thought about it, and I thought, like, this is, like, two human beings Uh, And this is what they have chosen to do with their lives. And and everybody has a choice, and and maybe it's just a job for them. I'm not saying that their complete identity is wrapped up in doing puppy mills. But it really, really, really got me thinking about, like, the fact that we just have this one opportunity for life. 
And while I came back in feeling all self-important because I had like zinged her with something surely she had never heard before that I give to human charities, uh, then I came back and I sat down and I probably got to work doing whatever thing that I was doing and it was probably in some ways equally as fruitless, right? You know, I might have sat down and joined in watching Encanto for the 17th millionth time and uh, that was probably had the same net effect on humanity and the world, right? I'm not some sort of like, you know person who's out there just changing and shaping everything it really just calls it a question this idea of like what are we doing with this one life that we have and how exactly are we using it paul has some really like serious thoughts about it today which is why i sort of open with something that i hope is a little bit light uh but the idea is just very simply asking ourselves the question and being really able to like grapple with the answer what are we doing with this time and this life that we have been given so Let's jump in. Uh, I'm going to start off in uh, verse 1. Uh, Danielle just read it. Actually, uh, we sort of hit, uh, it's weird, Philippians. Uh, so if you guys don't know the books of the Bible and the numbers are actually written in by people who didn't write the Bible, Paul is not like, hey, this is chapter 3 and this is where it'll start here. So all that being said, verse 1 I think actually belongs with the section before it. So I'm going to start with uh, verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs. Oh, snap. There it is again. Paul is saying, look out for puppy mills. Look out for them. They need you to look out for them. No, that's not it. Anyway, we'll come back to that. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. Now, I want to pause right there and just recognize right here, Paul's doing something kind of unique that gets lost a little bit, I think, in our modern translation. What he actually says there is, beware of dog. And this is about to blow your mind. Do you know that beware of dog signs have been around for like ever like even in paul's time people were saying beware of dog and that in latin cave canem is actually how it is and if you went to pompeii today and saw you know like mount vesuvius where it blew up i think and everything like that there is this tiled floor where someone has a picture of a dog and wrote this same exact phrase that paul is using here uh paul is writing in greek uh, so it's not directly but like basically the same thing beware of dog now, what's interesting there is we don't know how much the Greeks and the Pompeians actually cared about the dogs. We don't know if they were anti or pro puppy mill people. It could be look out so that you don't step on the dog or it could be look out because the dog is going to hurt you. We're really not sure about that one. But here it seems like Paul is using it to refer to other people. He's saying look out for the dogs, for the evildoers, for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, another thing that we miss in this modern uh, translation of the Bible, we should really all learn Greek because Paul is actually laying down some fat bars right here. He doesn't just say, look out for the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. He says, look out for the kuve, the kakos, and the katatame, actually, or something like that. I don't know how you pronounce it. But he's actually using this alliteration right here, uh, building up this like main point. He's got a little flow going, and we lose it, I think, here. Mutilators of the flesh really just pulls us right out of the story. Whatever he's saying, we're like, whoa, hold on, buddy, right? But what he's saying here is look out for those who are the dogs, the evildoers, and the mutilators of the flesh. And then he goes on to talk a lot about circumcision. Now, I know I told you uh, today we're going to talk about how we spend our lives, and uh, I don't necessarily know that we should spend a lot of our lives talking about circumcision unless you guys really, really want to. 
but basically what's happening right now is we were at a, a transition point in the people of God where they're transitioning from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The followers of God, uh, after Peter having a vision from God, no longer saw circumcision as really a part of the uh, modern practice of the church. And so as a result, uh, they were not practicing circumcision. Now, or previously, circumcision was a sign for the rest of the world that the Israelites were a separate and distinct people. Now, circumcision is no longer necessary because uh, all of the followers of God are not necessarily Jewish, but they are Gentile as well. And now it is spreading to the entire world. And circumcision is no longer necessary. But evidently, in the church at Philippi, there were certain people dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh who are actually trying to push this idea that you are not a real follower of Jesus unless you were actually circumcised. Now, Paul says something really, really unique here in verse 3. He says, for we, including him and the people that he's writing to, we are actually the circumcision now, who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, what he's doing in including that we in there is he's actually including the the Philippian church. He's saying we are the circumcision. Now, uh, we've talked about the uh, Philippi a little bit before, but it was probably made up mostly of Gentiles. And it's safe to bet that the Philippian church is actually made up mostly of Gentiles, too. And so he's saying, hey, actually, now we are the gen or we are the circumcision. We are the true followers of God. And no longer is that symbol necessary. Then he goes on to sort of list out his credentials. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul here is saying, I am qualified to say this because I have all of the credibility that I need, and yet I have chosen to follow Jesus. If being a Jew was the goal, then I could be the best one that there ever was. I have all of the confidence in the flesh. I have all the credentials. I have all of the background. I have all of the upbringing. I have all of the credibility that I need to say, hey, if this is what is important to us, then I can do it. I can be it. But then he says this in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul here is making a value statement. He says that all of those things that were important to him. Now, remember, you know, he listed off all of these things, and they're all kind of like funny words that don't mean a whole lot to us. They meant a very, very, very whole lot to him. These were all of the things that he would define as his identity. He was Jewish. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee as to zeal. He was even a persecutor of the church. All of this was like the summation of who Paul was before he met Christ. And he said, whatever gain that gave me, I now count as loss for the sake of Christ. The word here actually in verse uh, 8 is the word rubbish. Uh, it literally means trash or waste. 
some modern translators have decided that maybe it means the S word, but uh, we're a pretty appropriate church here. And I know that Sarah Cook would come marching up here and pull me off by the earlobe if I were to say that. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily an accurate translation. In fact, um, what it seems like the word is more sort of commonly used for is almost like table scraps. Uh, these are kind of like the rubbish that is left over from a meal that you might throw to the dogs. See, there they come again, man. This is the dog sermon. Look out. Uh, so you would eat like a meal, and then you have all of these leftovers like bones and, you know, banana peels and stuff like that, and you're chucking these off to the dogs. And in fact, uh, the reason why a lot of people end up with that sort of S-word interpretation is because this would also be used for, like, human excrement in the sense that, like, you would eat food, and then the byproduct, the sort of, like, rubbish that you would produce are all the things that your body could not get the nutrients from the food that you are eating. This is all sort of like wrapped up into this idea of rubbish. So it's not just like trash because we just have trash. This is like byproduct kind of trash. This is like runoff. This is like extra from the or from the uh, trash that you are making, or I guess from the food that you are eating, the way that you're living your life. You're creating this extra sort of byproduct. This is all apple cores and banana peels and and all of that kind of stuff that are just sort of like necessary waste that come from actually filling up your body with good things. And I've really gotten sort of like hooked on this idea of byproduct. Because if that's true, if all of this is like, you know, stuff that we would compost, if it's the apple cores and the coffee grounds and everything like that, what that means then is Paul is talking about the way that he used to think was that all of that was his food, right? All of that identity stuff that he just talked about, all of that was who he was. How that was how, what he was living off of. That was uh, everything wrapped up in his identity was all of those things. And now he is looking at those things as if they are, in fact, the byproduct. They are, in fact, the runoff. They are, in fact, the trash that is made while he is trying to live his actual life. For Paul, that was power. That was status. That was religious heritage. If you know the story of Paul... And you know that he was raised a faithful Jew. He came from a good family. He even had Roman citizenship as well as being recognized by the Jews. He even says at one point, if anyone had reason to boast, it was him. He's the reason to have confidence. Then he went to a place where he was even persecuting the church of Jesus. He was actually killing followers of Jesus. And then one day, Jesus came to him in a vision on the road and knocked him completely off of his donkey, made him blind for a few days, and from that point on, he knew that he had met the true God of the universe and began following him and renounced all of his old ways. And now he looks back on that old life and he says, hey, all of that is rubbish. I count all of that as just trash. All of that is the byproduct now. I mean, think about it. That is his life. What would all of that mean to you? Like, think about that. Maybe, like, before you came to, to Jesus, like, what all would you put in that sort of byproduct category now? Maybe even for those of us, like, after we're following Jesus, like, what are all the things that sort of fall into that category now? All the things that sort of bring us a lot of identity and purpose and meaning in life. What, what would our list look like, the same as Paul's? You know, would it be about our work or our home or our... Uh, you know, like our relationships or I don't really know what it is. 
But for Paul, he clearly made this huge shift in his life where the things that used to be the primary product that he was exporting now become the byproduct, the things that happen as a relationship to his life that he was actually living. What if you took all of that stuff that people would use to describe you? Like, think about that. If somebody was trying to describe who you are, think about all of the things that they would list. I imagine they could come up, you could come up with, like, a pretty similar list, just like Paul. They're like, well, he's an accountant, and, you know, he has three kids, and uh, he comes, you know, from this family, and he's from this state, and he has all of these things. Paul here is listing out an exact same similar list for himself, and he's saying that I count all of those things as rubbish. Count all of those things as byproduct. I think if that were the case, it would really change and shape the way that we think about our lives. I think it would put things into two categories, things that are about Jesus, things that are serving the kingdom, and things that are just sort of like byproducts to that actually being accomplished. Jobs are no longer the place where we find our like primary purpose and meaning in life. That's kind of a byproduct to having a job, that you're able to do that. But the true purpose of having a job then would be serving others. It would be serving the kingdom of God. It would maybe be earning money so that you can actually give and be generous to other people so that you can build the kingdom of God. Maybe even building relationships with your coworkers. The byproduct would be the thing that we often put as the primary thing. Purpose. Meaning. Relationships would no longer just be for fun or to stave off loneliness. That's kind of the byproduct. That's what happens naturally as a result of them. I think if we were truly framing our lives in thought of using them for the kingdom of God, relationships would be an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus, to grow closer to God with other people, to encourage one another. Homes would no longer be these places where we can sort of show off or retreat from the world, but instead they would be places where we can grow closer to God, where we can invite people in in some uh, godly hospitality. The byproduct is just the comfort of it all. The byproduct is just how nice it is. All of those things that we typically describe ourselves by, Paul is calling them rubbish. And I think if you really think about it, that's like, that's not a big stretch for any of us in our mind. I mean, I know I open this like, you know, sort of mocking, I guess, the, the people that came to my door for the way that they're spending their lives. But then I think about like, how much time in my own life just kind of feels like I'm like killing time. Now, this is going to get like playfully nihilistic here, so uh, be prepared. I'm sorry about that. I know you weren't expecting that. <clears throat> feels like a lot of our life is you got to get work to get this job. you got to you know show that you're really impressive so that you can get this job. That'll get you this job. Then that'll get you this job. And then you'll retire. And all of this work has been about trying to get to a place where you don't have to work anymore. Uh, and then you do that for a few years, and then that's it. What do you have to really like show for it? Or maybe you got to get this house so that you can sell it to get this house, and then maybe you know you can do this so that you can get the second house, and then you can trade in your 5,000 square foot place for like you know a 10,000 square foot place for a 15,000 square foot place for a 12 square foot plot in the ground. 
I said it playfully nihilistic. I'm sorry. It's dark. I know. I know. You dress this way and you act this way so that people will think that you are this way and so they'll picture your, yourself or at least a picture of yourself the way that you painted it for them so that they could become friends with that picture of yourself that you painted so that they will like you. And then all of our lives are sort of this slow sort of exchanging of relationships. People come, people go. I mean, let's like actually sort of call it what it is. It is rubbish. I mean, sometimes just like managing the average everyday affairs in my life feel like a part-time job, you know? Like, have you ever applied for a job before? That is a job. They should pay you to do this. And instead, it's this like long, drawn-out process. Have you ever had a really pleasant experience with your insurance company? And what that company is doing is providing you a service whereby you pay them in hopes that an accident won't happen to you. But if it does, then they will hassle you on the amount of money they will give you in response to that accident. It's an absurd process, and it is 90% of our lives. All of it rubbish, all of it byproduct. I had this idea this week, this sort of like vision that uh, as soon as I sort of got fixated, probably obsessed with this word byproduct, I think of my life sometimes like it's like this giant sort of like big factory and it's producing all of this stuff. It's got these big smokestacks and trucks are running in and out all the time. And then I'm like standing over uh, by the side and uh, a guy walks up and he's like, hey, man, what are you looking at? And I was like, oh, I'm looking at this retention pond. He's like, well, what is this? Is this is this what your factory makes? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess you'd call it a byproduct, you know, and it's like this fetid pool of like industrial waste that's happening right here. And I'm like, isn't it nice, though? We've made quite a bit of it, right? Like we've actually produced quite a bit of byproduct. There's quite a bit of runoff from the product that we make. And he says, what do you actually make? And I go, oh. I'm not really sure what the primary product is, but isn't this impressive? Like, look at how big this pond is. Look at how big all of this stuff is. I wonder if sometimes God looks down and he's like, hey, I've given you these factories. I've given you these things to produce. I've given you these abilities and this, this way that you can live in serving the most important thing in the world, which is the kingdom of God. I've given you everything that you need for that. You have the factory already built why in the world would you think on, be proud of the byproduct, the runoff? C.S. Lewis actually says it this way. <clears throat> he says, we, this is in uh, The Weight of Glory, he says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. So much of what we would call our lives, Paul here is referring to, is rubbish. So conversely, what is the good stuff? What is the trade-off of all of this rubbish? What do we get in exchange when we say, hey, this is not going to be my life anymore. I want more. 
Paul says in verse 9. He actually, sort of at the end of verse 8, he says, That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ and the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the exchange. He exchanges all of the rubbish of his old life for the gospel, for the hope of resurrection. He exchanges his life for Jesus's life. He exchanges his righteousness that he was proud of, that he was impressed with, that he was, you know, really like at the the forefront of what it meant to be righteous. He exchanges that for the righteousness of Jesus. He exchanges all of his power, all of his authority, everything that comes with being him for the power of the resurrection. He exchanges his own sufferings, which no one can even avoid in life, but the sufferings caused by the rubbish of his previous life for sufferings with meaning, for sufferings with purpose, for the sufferings of Jesus. He says that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And all of this, all of this huge exchange comes down to verse 11. The reason why this exchange is worthwhile is he says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He turns in everything that his life was and exchanges it all for knowing Jesus and experiencing the gift of his resurrection. And you know what's even better about this trade? is that all of that rubbish is honestly a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hustling. It's a lot of ladder climbing. It's a lot of like strategy. It depends on who you are. It depends on where you were born. It depends on, you know, just even what biological makeup you have and what capacities you have and how you're wired so that you can achieve this and you can achieve that. And then even after all of the things that you bring to the table, then you have to work so hard to climb and climb and climb. And at the end of the day, it could all just disappear for no reason whatsoever that you had any control of. All of that rubbish is such hard work, and it might even, or it definitely won't even amount to anything. At the end of the day, we all end in the same place. And the irony is that here Paul is exchanging it for the gift of resurrection, something that he couldn't create himself, and he can't even work for it if he tried. He's saying this gift of the power of resurrection comes to him through faith in Jesus, not by anything that he has done, but by everything that Jesus has done. See, what happens is we bring all of our rubbish to the table. We bring all of our life. We say, hey, this is, this is what we have made. This is what we have. And we're able to change in that for everything that Jesus gives to us. We bring before him all of the rubbish of our lives. And all that we stand to gain is everything that matters. The trade-off is between a life full of worry and stress and anxiety and trying to climb and trying to impress and trying to be something that we are not and trying to get something that we don't have or a life where everything will be given to you, where resurrection life is offered freely to you based on nothing that you bring to the table. 
For no strength, no effort, no beauty on your part can you accept Christ's death on, on your behalf. Only by faith, only by believing in him, believing that he loves you, that he gave his life for you. That in his death, you get to take on his righteousness. You exchange it for the best that you could do. Hey, I gave it a try, but I couldn't be perfect. And in exchange, he gives you perfect righteousness. An eternal life. You bring before him all of your power. You're like, hey, this is the most that I've amounted. This is what I can do. This is what I can accomplish. And in exchange, he gives you the power of resurrection. He gives you his Holy Spirit living inside of him, inside of you. All we have to give up is the rubbish of our lives, and all we stand to gain is everything. I want to end with this story. Jesus tells this story, actually, in Matthew uh, chapter 13, of this man. And uh, it's a really, it's a two-sentence story. Uh, a lot of scholars believe Jesus was just sort of walking around down the road and throwing out these things to uh, his followers. He tells the story of a man, and uh, this man finds a treasure in a field. And so uh, we don't know how big the treasure is or how he found it or anything like that. But what he does is he goes and he sells everything that he has so that he can go back and buy that field and possess that treasure. And Jesus says following him is basically the same kind of trade-off. Now, I want you to bear in mind, money worked the same way back then that it does now, right? This guy goes back and he sells all of his things. He sells his house. He sells all of his silverware, you know, probably sells off his dog or something like that. And he goes back also that he can buy this field that has a treasure in it. It would be the same as if I said, hey, man, uh, there's a house for sale over here with a million dollars or four million dollars. And you're like, I don't really have a million dollars. And then I'm like, well, there's a hundred million dollars buried in the backyard. Like, what would you not do to make that happen right now? You know what I'm saying? Like, what would you not sell? Like, I'm I'm seriously selling everything that's in my house. I'm probably even stealing things and thinking, like, ah, I'll just do the time afterwards. You know, $100 million by a nice lawyer, right? I'm showing myself to be, like, very low character today. I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> I would be finding bookies in, like, back alleys, you know, those kind of, like, loans where they'll break your kneecaps if you don't pay it back. Like, I would be doing all of those things just to get a million dollars so that I could go and buy this house with $100 million buried in the backyard. You know what's kind of crazy and I think kind of perfect and beautiful about this this little story that Jesus tells is that the guy couldn't come back with like slightly less than the price of the field. Like you couldn't come to this house and be like, well, I've got 700000 because it's Denver. And let's be honest, it probably sells for a million point two if it's listed for a million and they do the bidding and everything like that, you know. And so you can't just come back and be like, hey, man, I, I did the best that I could. Like, but this is really all that I have to bring to the table. This is really all that I have to offer. No, you would do everything within your power to be able to make this purchase, to make this trade-off, because you know, you know that the treasure is worth so much more. I think what Jesus is saying here, and I think what Paul actually has the opportunity to live out and is now looking backwards on it to the Philippians. See, Jesus is saying, hey, this is a good trade. And Paul is saying, I have made this trade and this is worth everything to me. It all points to this idea that this, this trade-off is not something that we come into halfway. 
Man, and every time that we get sort of like sucked back into the rubbish of our lives, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, sometimes it's easy to just get like wrapped up in all of the wrong things, all of the things that don't really matter, that aren't going to matter in a year from now, that aren't going to matter 10 years from now, that aren't going to matter 100 years from now, wrapped up into all of the just sort of minutia and byproduct of our lives when really our lives, the factory of our lives were always built to be kingdom citizens, to be citizens of the kingdom of God, to be people who are loved by God and who love him, to be people who serve the only purpose that matters in the entire universe, which is the kingdom of God. That is all that we were built to do. And all of this other stuff that we get wrapped up into is, is just byproduct. It's just the leftovers. What is required for the trade is everything that we have, but what we get is so much more. <clears throat> and the same is true of a life following Jesus. For some of us here in the room today, we're still sort of exploring this whole Jesus thing, <clears throat> trying to wrap our minds around what it means to follow Jesus. And man, can I just say that we are glad that you're here. We're all, I think, at some level in this room today figuring out what it means to follow Jesus. Can I just point you to the sort of like the beauty of this trade-off? Can I point you to what we are getting in return? I know, I know I'm not like giving a good sales pitch. I'm like... Hey, you know, like following Jesus means you're a lot less interested in all these other things that, that seem important to us all the time. The trade-off is the opportunity to have a personal, knowing relationship with the creator of the universe and to spend a life eternal with him. To experience his resurrection to where death is no longer the final answer for us, but it is actually the next step to a life where we are directly and immediately and intimately connected with the father and the creator of the entire universe. That is the trade. And it makes it makes worrying about jobs and houses and insurance companies and all of those things seem a lot, a lot, a lot more trivial. For those of you guys who would call yourselves followers of Jesus in this room today, if you're anything like me, then, man, I, I feel like I'm just uh, constantly sort of walking away from this life of following Jesus that I have chosen. That like one moment I am just like, hey, this is the only thing that matters in the universe, loving you, Jesus, knowing you, Jesus, serving you, Jesus. And then the next moment I am researching products for two hours on Amazon. I am getting wrapped up in what I don't have. I'm getting wrapped up in what I want. I'm giving, getting wrapped up in all of these other things that will bring me status and security and uh, impress my friends and neighbors and whatever it is. Man, can I just say, I know this is like a random Sunday morning in February, and, you know, we come here, we sing some songs and listen to me ramble on for a minute, but... And you have an opportunity, if you're anything like me, you have an opportunity right now to let this bring some really hard and difficult questions to your life. Let the Holy Spirit truly guide you in asking, what is actually important in my life? What actually matters? And my hope and my prayer, because 
Again, if you're anything like me, you know that you're not perfect and there are things that we can change and we can grow in, things that the Holy Spirit can convict us of. And my hope and my prayer is that right now there is something that you have been holding on to in your heart that now you are seeing for what it truly is, this byproduct. And instead, you are seeing the beauty of the kingdom of God before you, this simple and free exchange. My prayer and my hope is that all of us today will take good stock of our lives so that we might know what is rubbish and what is of surpassing worth, what is the most important thing to us on the planet, and that is knowing Jesus and spending eternity with him. Would you guys pray with me? <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you now as people who have gone our own way, of people who have uh, delighted in the things that you have given to us that were always meant to just be a byproduct. God, always meant to just be on the side to support this life that you have given to us, God. God, we confess our sin of focusing on things, on focusing on status and symbol and, and everything else that we, uh, God, we put in place of you. God, we confess that. We bring those to you now. We accept humbly your forgiveness and your grace for that. And we ask, God, we ask that you would show us how to live, that you would show us a life of meaning and purpose and joy in you, God, that you would show us a life with suffering that matters, that you would show us a life that has the power of resurrection, that has the power of your Holy Spirit, God. God, we bring nothing and you give us everything. Let us live our lives in light of that truth. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.